All right. How's everybody doing? Doing good? That was good? Good to face each other for a second, huh? You don't have to just face forward this way the whole time, but um, excited about what the Lord's going to say in, in His Word this morning. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, we are going to be totally in Hebrews today. So not leaving he- the book of Hebrews. You know, the, the book of Hebrews is, is kind of like a, a bridge to the Old Testament. Really, if you've ever read Hebrews, for, for us who aren't, didn't grow up Jewish, sometimes it's kind of, or we didn't grow up in church, it, it's, a, it's a heavily Jewish book. In other words, it was meant to, to be the bridge from, hey, the sacrifices to Jesus. How does that tie in? How does that connect? Uh, Hebrews is the one, and we don't even know who wrote the book. We don't even know the one that God inspired to, to write the book. Uh, there's all kinds of theories about who it could have been, but there's no, they didn't put their name on it. It wasn't like the others where Paul says, hey, this is Paul writing, this is Peter writing. Uh, the book of John, we know, is written by John, and Matthew is written by Matthew, and uh, Luke was written by Luke. They just put their name on it, but we don't know who this guy was that wrote Hebrews, or gal. Could have been a lady, I guess, right? I don't. We don't know. Maybe that's... Maybe that's why she didn't put her name down. So, because in that time, that might have been a hindrance, unfortunately. So, but Hebrews is, is kind of like, Hebrews in the, Old, in the New Testament is like Isaiah in the Old Testament. You know, Isaiah is the bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. If the book of Isaiah wasn't there, we'd have way less understanding of who Jesus was and the Messiah. There's so much in Isaiah. Likewise, the book of Hebrews points back to the Old Testament over and over again. Hey, remember this? Remember this? That's what this meant. Hey, this is a picture of that. Hey, this is a shadow of that. This is what, this is what God was trying to do. This is why Jesus had to come. This is what Jesus was doing when he was on the cross. There was a whole lot of stuff going on. And so it's a very exciting book. I love the book of Hebrews. Uh, maybe someday we'll just preach through the whole thing. I don't know. Uh, it's it's a thirteen. It's a long book, but uh, some for some people it's hard to understand. But I it, it helps you understand a lot of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Some of that boring stuff that we get stuck in in the Old Testament, we can realize. Hey, there's a picture going on. There's a there's an arrow pointing to Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. There's an arrow pointing to Jesus. So the last few weeks we've had. Uh, Several different messages. Uh, Greg spoke on faith. I think it was a couple weeks ago. Uh, myself, I spoke on love. Uh, maybe that was a couple weeks ago. A few, few weeks ago. But today we're going to talk about hope. So we're going to hit all three. Faith, hope, and love. You know in, in First Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. It says, um, these three remain. Faith hope and love and it does say the greatest of these is love but you know what that tells me is those three things are pretty important Amen. if we just got faith hope and love down we'd probably be doing pretty good right in this life we'd be having a lot of the kingdom of god a lot of god what god's work being done just have faith you got hope and you got love you got a, you got a lot of it right there so let's read the, the scripture here hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13 we're going to read 13 through 20 Uh, It says this, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. 
Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts it into all argument. You see why people don't understand Hebrews? You're like, I don't even know what you just said, right? <laughs> Neither do I. Because God wanted to make... Here's, here's, it's going to read real clear here. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to whom? To the heirs... Oops, I lost my place. Where are we? To the heirs of what was promised, or to the heirs of the promise, he confirmed it with an oath. God did that so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I'm not going to get into Melchizedek today, so you're going to have to read chapter 7 and then go back to Genesis uh, chapter 22 and you'll get the story of Melchizedek and how that all ties in. I won't do that today. I'll gladly talk with you about it later. But here's the thing. It's talking about the promises of God and our, our assurance of hope. Here's a great definition of hope. Uh, hope is the confident expectation of good. That's what hope is. Hope is the confident expectation of good. When you, when you have a hope for something, it's, it's, you're believing that it's going to become a reality. You may not have it yet, you may not see it yet, but you're believing that that thing is going to become a reality. Um, and the thing is with this, biblical hope is, is on a surer foundation than my Christmas list. Right? We put, we ma do you make a Christmas list? Who makes a Christmas list here? No? You make a Christmas list. Okay. Well, in my family we always made Christmas lists. Because we knew that Santa Claus was dead, okay, and he wasn't real. And <laughs> we just never celebrated Santa Claus. He gave me a gift when I was like 27, though. I appreciated that. Um, <laughs> it was at an artist's house. Um, it's because I didn't believe it. I know it's because I didn't believe in him. So if I would have believed, I would have seen. But um, so, you know, we make a Christmas list, right? And so you make the list, and you're hoping that you... On Christmas Day, especially as a kid, maybe as an adult too, you're hoping that when you unwrap that box, you're like, that was on my list. <laughs> and so when, you, when it's something, you know, you, sometimes you get surprised, you're like, that wasn't on my list. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's confusing or bad <laughs> it's, or not good. And so that's sometimes what we use the word hope for, but we have to understand that hoping in the Lord is different than hoping in my Christmas list. And that's exactly what Hebrews 6 is telling us here. Hope is the confident expectation of good. And in some ways, the opposite of hope is fear. What is fear? Fear is the confident expectation of bad. It's something bad is going to happen. I was having a conversation with my son this week, and I'm going I'm to get some of you on this one. So... Uh, he said, you know, something about, we were talking about the weather change, and he said, well, when people get sick when the weather changes. I said, no, they don't. You don't have to get sick when the weather changes. Amen. 
If you think and believe that you'll get sick because it's hot and cold, you will get sick. Because you have confident expectation that that's going to happen. I choose to believe that the weather does not have to affect my health. Look, people in Poland, it's cold a lot. They're not, they're not just sicker because it suddenly gets cold. Now, I understand, look, I'm not, I understand there's things that blow in and affect allergies and stuff, but I'm continuing to believe even in my own life, hey, I want to see me, myself free from allergies too. Okay, that I don't have to live with that. I've come to believe that it's normal. You know, sometimes we have things in our lives, this is totally off the notes, we can close them up. We have things in our lives that we just, we just accept as normal and we need, we need someone to give us a hope that there's a chance that that could change. That's what, that's, what, uh, that's, that's what Jesus gives. It says that Jesus came and said, Hey, I took all your sickness. Hey, you can be free from that. Amen. Is allergies a part of that? Why not? Well, when Jesus was getting the stripes on, on, you know, before the cross, was it like, well, not allergies. <laughs> we just, you just have to live with those and take pills. Does that sound like the Bible? Now, I'm, I'm not saying if you take a pill, we're not, we're not trying to get you to say be guilty or anything. It's not about that. Uh, I, I've never been able to breathe out of both sides of my nose my whole life. I, in fact, didn't know that was abnormal until I was, you know, like 12 or 13. I'm like, oh, I thought everybody had that problem. <laughs> I just breathe out of my mouth. That's why God gave me a mouth, right? <sighs> so I can breathe. <laughs> I, hard, I hardly knew that you breathed out of your nose. And so... But what God does is when He presents something to us, it's like God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to present something to you that you, that's, you didn't know about. And I'm going to give you a promise that you weren't aware of. And then once the promise is presented, then we have a choice. We can, we can choose to hope, place our hope in that promise. So what does it say right here? It says, when God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for Him to swear by... He swore by himself. Now, this is the only sermon you'll hear where it says God's swearing, right? Okay, we, we, we miss, we don't use this word as often anymore, like this in this scripture, right? We use it a few times. Here's where we use it. We use it when we're on a witness stand. You swear on the Bible, which way you do it like this, right? To tell the whole truth. Uh, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> Nothing but the truth, so help me God. What, what is that called? It's called a, you're being sworn in, right? You're sworn in as a witness. And so it's, it's, on, it's on a special occasion where you are swearing in. You always swear on something greater than yourself. In other words, that's why in our country it was established that we did this upon God, so you put your hand on the Bible. It was pointing to God. In other words, I'm... I'm being a witness between God right now that what I say is going to be true. Where else do we swear things? Well, in some ways, our wedding vows is, a, is, a, is, a, is an oath. It's a promise. I mean, that's what an oath is. It's a promise where you're calling on someone greater than yourself. You promise before God and before, for, before all the witnesses to love that person to all of your days till death do us part. When we swear in people into um, places, elected officials. Right now, the election is in full swing. Uh, this, this Tuesday is the primary election. I encourage you to vote. 
uh, get yourself informed so you know who you're voting for. You don't go in and go, who is that? Okay, just I like their name. Um, but when those officials are elected, when we elect the next president, the president will be sworn in. And they will, they will solemnly swear to uphold the Constitution, hopefully this time, and, <laughs> and many other things. I'm trying not to get, get off track on that stuff. But that's exactly what God is saying here. He's saying, look, God, God is, is, is made, this is an extra special occasion. So he says, God says, I'm going to swear by myself. In other words, God, there's no one greater than God. <laughs> I mean, God doesn't need to put his hand on the Bible, right? <laughs> He's like, I wrote the Bible. That's, what, that's, that's my promise right there. So it says, so the promise was for Abraham. Abraham, it says, waited patiently or he hoped expectantly would be one way to look at that. And Abraham received what was promised. Then it says this, verse 16, men swear by someone greater than themselves. That goes back to what we were just talking about. In our day, our word doesn't mean as much anymore, right? Like even people who get on the witness stand, they'll do this and then they'll just say whatever. I mean, we know that. The lawyers know that. If you serve on a jury, the judge knows that. They know some people are up there lying. But in this time, when people were going to make an agreement, and it was going to be firm and, and, you know, this is not going to change, they would swear it with an oath. And they would swear by someone greater than themselves. In other words, I'm calling someone else greater than me as a witness to what I'm saying right now. So it says, men sw- and so the earth, con- and, and it says it puts an end to all argument. In other words... In that time, their word meant something. And if they were going to put their word and swear to the Lord or whatever, if they weren't a believer in the Lord, they would have sworn to their own gods, maybe. But they were, they were looking to someone greater. So that's why it says it puts it into all argument, because that was like, oh, boom, it's, done, it's a done deal now. That's exactly what he's saying there. Hey, it was a done deal once this happened. It was not going to change. So, because, verse 17, see, we're kind of like walking through the scripture here. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. So, God wants to make something very clear to us. Who does he want to make it clear to? The heirs of the promise. To the heirs of what was promised. He wanted to make something very clear. So, what did he do? He confirmed it with an oath. In other words, God... If it was a picture, did this. Okay, I understand he doesn't need to place his hand on the Bible, but he was, he was solemnly swearing to do something. Now, here's the deal. God did this for our benefit, not for his. It wasn't because he needed to. It was so we would know he was serious. So we would know that when he said this, this is really true. In other words, there's two things that guarantee that this is, that this is clear. God said, by two unchangeable things, number one, it's impossible for God to lie. In other words, the character of God. Our hope is secure in two things. Number one, the character of God and the promise of God. God didn't need to swear because everything God says is true. He doesn't need to make a special occasion to call somebody else as a witness. 
That's what they're saying here. In other words, but God did this for our benefit so we would have it very clear about what God was doing. In other words, this promise is going to happen. And I know I don't need to do this. I don't need to swear to you, but I'm going to do it so I get your attention that I am serious. I will do what I say. I will fulfill my promise. Those things I've said, it will come to pass by two unchangeable things. Number one, if God says it, it's already true. He doesn't need to swear, but He did and said, Look, this is going to happen. This is true. He confirms it. So we who have fled from the old way, from destruction, from all kinds of bad stuff, from hell even, have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us, may be greatly encouraged. Here's the thing about hope. Sometimes you've got to hold on to it. You've got to grab it. You know, when people lose hope, uh, you, they, they lose their, the purpose of life. Even the desire to live. That's what happens when someone is fighting with the, with the battle with suicide. What? If there was hope, you don't consider that, right? right? When you lose hope, you lose a desire to live. And so as believers, spiritually think of that. When we lose hope, we spiritually lose our desire to live spiritually. And so we can become dead inside. We can become, we can become numb to what's going on, just going through the motions, going through life. We may be physically alive, but spiritually we're not, we're not, we're not alive. There's no hope. Where there's no hope, there's no life. You know, there's a quote that we, we saw this last Wednesday. It's interesting. The first scripture that grabbed my heart this year when I read the Bible first, and I'm pretty sure it was January 1st, <laughs> Was, was a scripture on hope, and it's in Hosea. I'm not going to read it. I may use it next time I preach. But the first scripture of the year that touched my heart was a scripture on hope. You know, as we've been going through this study, Strengthen Yourself in the Lord, there's a, there's a quote that I want us to see. Uh, can you put that quote up, sir, from Bill Johnson? This, was on, this is from this last Wednesday night. And it says, Any area of our lives... Where there is no hope is under the influence of a lie. You can leave that up there for a few minutes. Any area of our lives that is not under the influence of or where there is no hope is under the influence of a lie. See, here's the deal. Think about something in your life. Is there anything in your life right now where you've just given up hope? You're just like, that's never going to change. It's not going to happen. Just not going to happen. I'm just, I'm, I'm not believing for that anymore, Lord. I'm believing you for other things, but that one I can't believe you for. What that means is in that area of my life, the lie is now in charge. Verse 19, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. You know what? It, what does an anchor do? Anybody here go fishing? <laughs> Anybody ever been in a boat? <laughs> it keeps you in. Yeah, yeah, all right. Okay. I'm not a fisherman, but I've been fishing. My dad's a fisherman, so I fished a lot until I was 18. <laughs> That's how you how you know you, whether you like something or not. Is I didn't fish from 18 to like 38. 
You know, when you don't ever choose to do something on your own, like, I guess I don't like that. <laughs> I'm not, I guess I'm not interested because uh, I hadn't done it for a long time until this last couple of years. It's probably the first time I really fished in a long time. So, but when you're, when you're in a boat, you have, you, have, you, have, you have to make sure if you want to stay in a certain place, you're going to have to put down an anchor. Now, when you go fishing, sometimes you want to be moving. And so you put yourself in a place, you move to a section, and you know you're going to slowly move this way as you fish. And so you're going to fish that whole section. So you don't put down an anchor. But here's the deal. If you don't put down an anchor, you're going to drift. You're going to drift. If you've never swam in the ocean, now we're a long ways from the ocean, so there might be somebody who's never been in the ocean. Who's ever swam in the ocean? Okay, you've been to the beach. And if you go out enough from the shore far enough, if you're not paying attention, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be way down the... You're going to go, where did everybody go? Everybody was on the beach. That was the section. That's where we're eating lunch. You know, uh, somebody's cooking lunch for me. Now I've got to swim back or swim in and walk all the way to that place. Some people drift way off. It actually can be dangerous because if you're not paying attention, you'll drift away and not know where you're at. You can actually drift out to, drift out to the ocean, out to sea. That's the picture that's happening here. Hope makes sure you don't drift. Amen. When I have hope, then I'm, I'm going to be in the place I'm supposed to be. When I lose hope and I'm not paying attention... I'm going to end up somewhere where I didn't expect. And it's going to be slowly that I get there. Drifting doesn't happen real fast. You know, if we got in the... Out, if I swam out from the beach, and I, I get out there, and if I suddenly was thrown out of the water 500 feet down, I would go, oh, man, I've really, I'm really way off here. But when you slowly drift, if you're not looking at the shore, you don't even know. You don't even know you've drifted. And that's how the enemy works in our lives is he gets us to let go of our hope which is an anchor for our souls. And so it's our, our hope, our confident expectation of good based in the character of God and the promises of God that keeps me from drifting off course. I need that anchor in my soul. You know, when we lose that anchor, we end up places we, don't, we never thought we'd be. I never thought I'd get here. I never thought this would happen in my life. What happened? You drifted. Because there's a current going on in our world. And it is moving us in a direction. If I'm not careful, I'll be caught up in the current. What's one of the things that helps me not get caught in the current is the hope of God. My hope in Him. The promises of God. Trusting in what God has already said. It says we are firm and secure in this hope. Then what's the second thing? So hope is an anchor. It holds us. It keeps us from drifting. And then number two, it says this. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. So this hope, it says it enters the inner place, the most holy place. Now that's, a, that's of course, if we've been in church, we know what that is. But I'm going to explain it for all of us just in case we don't know. In the Old Testament, in the, in the temple system, in the tabernacle... There was one place where only one person could go once a year. It was the Holy of Holies. 
And one time a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would offer the offering for the sins of the people for that year. And God would come down and, you know, there's different manifestations of what would happen at that point. But basically, the presence of God was there. What was in the holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, which was like kind of the container or the symbol or the place where God's presence dwelled. And so... Only one person could get in. Now get this. This is something Pastor John learned in studying this week. I do learn things. Sometimes I go, I never knew that. And I know I should know this, so I'm making the confession to you. But here's the deal. In the Old Testament, I won't, I'm not going to take you through that. It would take too long. But basically, in the tabernacle... In other words, in the desert when they were traveling, they built a tabernacle. What did it have? A lot of curtains. And so they had a curtain for the most holy place, and then they had the holy of holies, and then they had the holy place, and then they had the outer courts uh, of the tabernacle. And so there were different places where different things were performed in different parts of the sacrificial system. And so when they would... They, they were moving, remember? They were in the desert, and so they are like getting up sometimes every day. Sometimes they'd stay in one place a week, but they were getting up. They would have to move this whole thing. And it was all just, you know, it was a big, had big curtains. And we got to think thick animal skins and different stuff like that. A lot of it was very beautiful. It says they had skilled craftsmen who built this. But what, one of the things they did for the ark was this. They took the veil, the curtain as it's called here, and many times it, it was pretty thick. It wasn't, it wasn't like a see-through veil. And they would cover the ark with it. In other words, they still wouldn't go in to the presence of God. So get this picture. I've had the wrong picture in my head. You know when Joshua brings the people in and they cross the Jordan River, what happens? Is It says the priests carry the ark of the covenant on poles. And we see the picture of the ark and it has the the angels, the cherubim wings above it. But you know what? None of them saw the ark because it was covered. It's all throughout. It's in Exodus. It's in Leviticus. I believe it's in Numbers too where they say, hey, when you move, we cover up the ark. So the ark was not visible. The people didn't even know what it looked like. There's only one guy a year that got to go into that thing. Once it was built. I mean, the, guy that, the people that helped build it knew what it looked like. But once, you know, it was like the place of God's presence, they didn't know. Can you imagine that? Can, can you, we can't imagine it from this side of the cross. That's why this, this picture is so powerful. Because it's saying, look, hope enters into that inner place. Amen. It enters into the presence of God. It says Jesus went there beforehand as a forerunner. In other words, he went there to open the door. He went there first so that we could get in. But can you imagine the people, they hear about the ark, they know it represents God's presence, but they've never seen it. It's always covered. They're restricted. They are, they're left on the outside. Can you imagine the greatest gift that, you know, God's presence is probably the greatest gift ever. Can you imagine the greatest gift ever is always wrapped? You never get to unwrap it. You, never, you can never get to it. You know it's there. You know what's in the box. You know what it represents. But you can't have it. You can't see it. You can't touch it. See, that's, that's what Hebrews enlightens for us. That's what... The Jewish people, the people who were longing for God, who were hoping for the Messiah, that they, they got it. They understood. When that veil, it says, this, that's this curtain here. When that curtain was torn from top to bottom, when Jesus died, 
That was a powerful encounter from heaven. It was always restricted. It was always, you know, access only by one person. I mean, that's pretty exclusive. Yeah, we don't like that in America, right? We don't like exclusivity. We want to be inclusive. We want to you know, let everybody be a part of something, right? It's democracy. We all get to vote. I mean, we don't get something where it's like, everybody else, you're all on the outside. It's only one that gets to go in. But when Jesus came, everything changed. And it says, one of the things that our hope does, it takes us in. It takes us into the presence of God. It takes me behind the curtain. You know, there's not a, there's not a physical curtain there anymore. It, and if, if they put it up, it doesn't matter because God's presence isn't dwelling in a place anymore. He dwells in a people now. But to me, it's a powerful picture of the power of hope. When I have my hope in the character and the promises of God... I'm going to have access to stuff that other people don't have access to. That's the picture right here. In other words, hey, this goes in to places where other people haven't been before. That's what Jesus went in, so we could have access to the presence of God, so we could be close to Him. Can you imagine the power in the presence of God? I mean, they were, they were scared of it back then. It was an amazing thing. Amen. You know, there's a time even in the book of Samuel where they, you know, they pulled out the ark. Now, I, don't, I didn't research this this week. I, can't, I didn't have time to go through all the scriptures. I don't know if they kept covering the ark like they were supposed to. I don't know if like when David brought it in, like first of all, we know he didn't know, know what to do the first time because he let it come in on the cart of a horse and they weren't supposed to do that. It was supposed to be carried by the priests on poles. And so something bad happened because they didn't do it right. So I don't know. So I don't know. There may have been some point where it may have been visible, but it was not the way it was supposed to be. It wasn't the way God prescribed it. So I don't know. But But here... Where was I going with that? I can't, don't remember. <laughs> Somebody help, Pastor John. So, anyway, just, the, the, oh, it was First Samuel. You know, there's there's a time, it was like the presence of God and the symbol of the art became like magic to them. And that's not what God is trying to get us. What happened was, they're like, we're losing the battle, we're losing the battle. Hey, let's go get the ark. If we just go get the ark, then we'll win. And so they brought the ark out. And I don't know if they covered it or not. And that may be why they lost, too, if they weren't doing stuff the right way. But they bring it out, and they still lost. And then the Philistines took the ark. Now, when the Philistines had the ark, that's one of my favorite parts of the Bible, I think. Because it's like they put it in the temple with their other gods. And all the statues start falling down before the ark. They fall down and break off their, their noses and arms and faces and heads. And every, everything bad happens. And so, so they're like, get that thing out of here. <laughs> Send it back. So there's power in His presence. And one of the ways we get access into the presence of the King is to have our hope turned on. It's not that we get in because of our hope. We get in because of Jesus. But our hope keeps us there. Our hope gets us there. Our hope you know, opens the way for us to realize what's going on in the presence of God. 
when we know what's going on in the presence of God, you know, there's, there's forgiveness, there's freedom, there's miracles, there's healing, there's life, there's revelation, there's all that's, that God is in Himself. So we need to not let go of our hope. So today, that's the question for us. Is there any place in your life... Again, there's things we need to let go. I'm not talking about those things. But is there any place in your life where something you know God has promised you or He has promised in His Word where you've given up hope? You've lost hope. Here's the great thing. We can grab right on, back onto it. Amen. What, what stirs our hope? Get into the promises of God. Amen. Get into the promises of God. Get into the Word of God. Worship God. Get in His presence. You know, that's, it, it's, it, and you may have drifted off track. Here's the deal. You may have drifted down the beach some ways, but here's the deal. With, with Jesus, you've got somebody who can lead you back to the right spot. He can lead you back to the place on the, on the beach where he's serving lunch, where the blessings are, where the place of freedom and security and safety is, and where there's a chance, where there's a, where there's a not a chance, where there's a, where there's a hope, where there's a, a certainty of things that he's promised. Amen? So let's stand. Lord, we just thank you right now. Lord, we just, we just declare over every single person in this room, Lord, I, I just declare over them, Lord, that hope would be rekindled. Lord, if there's anything, Lord, where we have just given up. Lord, I pray just this morning that there'll be just a spark right now by your Holy Spirit that, that something just stirs up that says, you know what? I'm going to believe for that. I'm not letting that go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab hold again. and We're going to realize that you've given us the, the chance to once again hold on to that hope to once again hold on to you, to once again hold on to the promises that you have spoken. Lord, we thank you. There's so many promises in your word. We don't even, we may not even need to start with a personal promise from you. We can just start with what's already been written down. What you've already said is so huge and so amazing. Lord, and we thank you that when hope combines with faith and it's full of love, that there's power that's released, there is things that happen, there is destinies that are walked into, there's futures that are realized. Lord, there is endurance that is imparted and strength for the journey. Lord, we thank you, Lord, I pray that there would be no person in this room that would give up on something that you want for them that you have promised for them. Lord, we choose to look to you, Jesus. Lord, and we declare that anything in our life that has given up hope, Lord, we don't want to live under the lie anymore. So break the power of the lie in lives this morning. God, we speak truth into those places where we have believed a lie. And in Jesus' name, the truth will set us free. We thank you for that. God, stir our hearts, Lord. Open our eyes to hope in you. Lord, that we can have confident expectation of good. That we will not live in fear. Lord, we will not have confident expectation of bad things happening. We, we don't have to be in control. We don't have to be the one that takes care of it. We're just the one that holds on and trusts and looks at you. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that reminder from your word. Uh, seal it in our hearts, God. Seal it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, let me read one more scripture to you. Didn't look at my notes, but it says this. This is in Hebrews 10. 
It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us what? Through the curtain that is his body. In other words, there's a symbolism there with the curtain and the body of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, here's what we get to do. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Doesn't sound that good? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed. Why? For he who promised is faithful. And then let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us, what, encourage one another daily and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hold on to that. Hebrews 10, 19-25. So be blessed as you go. He's faithful. He's true. Find someone that you can encourage with that this week. Encourage somebody this week that can stir their hope. Amen? All right, I'm done now. Be blessed.